0: Painted Arrow Podcast, committed to taking you beyond the pursuit. Jake Elinger, welcome to the Painted Arrow Podcast. Oh, thank you. It's really good to have you on. I know we've we uh, struggled to get together for a couple oh, of months. Oh, it's been,
1: you know, I know when you originally contact me is when I'm just, I'm pretty much going five to seven days a week Mm -hmm. and it's kind of it's fluid it changes because i'm dealing with people that you know are landowners hunters they also work for a living and then there's weather influence so we pick a saturday and it's you know snows like crazy or it's you know lightning and thunder and they they cancel and so you know so all of a sudden what i was going to do on saturday i'm free but then the wednesday that i thought i could get right. together with you it's gone right you now right. yep. yeah no it's, it's just part of life you know no i know so, Every, uh, it's
0: super busy time i just yeah. got married yeah. and yeah, yeah congratulations that's thank uh, you that's good yeah you know um so we're here um we just ended up walking to your place you gave me a little tour um and i ended yeah. up having way more questions than i had answers to be honest with you well, that's, <laughs> but uh it's yeah, good i appreciate yeah. you having me here um would you just kind of give a little bit about yourself what you do
1: um, where you're from and and we'll just get into it okay yeah so uh you know i'm a born and bred addison Lenaway county guy went to school here in addison graduated from addison uh, right out of high school i i was a draftsman you know was trained in drafting got into uh, manufacturing uh, Wait, wait
0: i'm sorry drafting I don't even know what that means. Drafting, you know,
1: just like that drafting board over there, drawing. drawing. You know, before computers, we did everything on a board. You know, whatever had to be made, built, marketed all had to be drawn by somebody before you I've know. I've
0: never heard that drafting though. Yeah,
1: so it was called drafting classes is what you took. Interesting. But I took drafting classes because I was a bit of an artist. Okay. And I liked it and I was plus I was really good at math. I I enjoyed math. But long story short, I went into the automotive business, high speed automation, was in that industry right up until nineteen ninety eight. But through that time I've always you know I was grown I had the greatest parents that took me trapping and hunting from and They they say when I was four days old I went on my first canoe trip okay wow and you know and so I was always in the woods always fishing hunting something a lot of small game in this area and no white tailed deer when I was a uh, young boy
0: I've heard that before yeah
1: there was just absolutely no deer here I mean seeing a deer was a big deal everybody jumped the car and drive six miles down the road where somebody said there was a deer in a field
0: what year was that
1: um, that would have been like in the late sixties, mid to late sixties, mid to late sixties. You know, I was born yeah. in the, in the yeah. early fifties. Okay. Just yeah, to yeah, tell yeah. you where I'm at in my sure. lifestyle, you know, so I'm in my late sixties and, uh, but you know, there, there were very few deer compared to today. I mean, my gosh, we got, you know, really high deer numbers about everywhere in Southern Michigan. And it's uh, almost
0: like flipped, right? You used to drive North.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Why, why do you think that is? I mean, well, given I mean, your if you, background well, too, Well,
1: w- what I know about it is there was a time in northern Michigan when timber was king, okay? And, and northern Michigan was timbered and timbered hard. And, you know, the white pine and the oaks and the maples. And so through that process... It created a lot of sunlight that hit the ground in early successional growth and cover, which created all the ideal habitat for whitetails mm-hmm. so, and, and a lot of state and federal land. So there were, uh, that's where all the deer were. And then down here in southern Michigan, um, not that far from here, is a little town called Deerfield. And Deerfield's history is about that is where they killed the deer for the market hunting. Is that right? And they actually put put the deer hides on the, uh, on the trains and shipped, you know, the deer meat and the deer hides, uh, you know, deer meat to the restaurants and to, you know, probably Chicago and New York and all these, and Detroit and all these other different places. But this area, because it was being cleared for farming and agricultural processes, the deer were able to be hunted to not extinction, but to very, very low numbers. And there was a time that there weren't any hunting seasons in certain parts of Michigan. That's really interesting. And it was uh, the early 60s before doe permits and those kinds of things. And, of course, it was a draw. You know, you, you wouldn't buy a, a doe permit over the counter. Wow. But there was a – I remember when my dad, probably in the early 60s, got his first doe permit, you know.
0: So you got to be now thinking that, I mean, just just being around for that. Yeah. We're, and, and now, like, I mean, we're in a room with all of the deer that you've shot here, and it, it's just got to be incredible.
1: Oh, it is. You know, I mean – There was a time in my life when I was a young teenager and, and getting into bow hunting and you would hunt days, weeks, never see a deer. Yeah. And just see, and seeing an antlered buck was such a big deal. I mean, man, if you saw two or three, it didn't matter what it had on its head, you know, it was a buck, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you never saw the kind of bucks that we see today. Yeah. You just didn't see them. I don't even
0: think we've said actually what you do yet. So you're, you're a how, how do you identify? So
1: I am a, uh, I am a habitat consultant. Yeah. So I visit uh, landowners and hunters' properties and develop a long-term habitat plan so that they can improve their opportunities. Yeah. Uh, typically for white-tailed deer, sometimes you mix in other things, turkeys, ducks, you know, other things, but it's mainly about uh, white deer hunting. And I, I put together a very detailed plan from access to stand sites to time of the year, morning, evening hunts and, you know, and and walk them through a huge amount of information that I bring with me on a flash drive, eight gig flash drive, loaded with all kinds of info and videos and things like that to take them on their habitat journey. Mm -hmm. Because there is a lot of work that they're going to have to continually do year after year after year in different locations to eventually get that plan to kind of mesh together. And, And you just saw a very small part of the property here. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a well planned it's, oh, it's it's a set a up for machine it, it's set up for access and yeah. and the food and and the transition zones and bedding and it's it's made for whitetails to think it's the greatest place in the world so
0: so I'm sorry to interrupt you but like going back to you know you you grew up in Michigan southern michigan boy you remember when the deer were first kind of becoming popular in this right. area populated yeah do you think that is like why you love this so much? I think
1: it probably was. You know, I spent a lot of time rabbit hunting, duck hunting, pheasant hunting, and squirrel hunting. And I can remember squirrel hunting as a a young, like, 12-year-old boy, Mm -hmm. okay, sitting on a ridge, oak trees, and a deer came by. And it was just the biggest deal in the world. I mean, I saw a deer. You know I mean? You'd go tell Dad and my brother I saw a deer. Oh, you didn't see one. Yes, I did. Where? You know? Really? And that was a big deal. That's incredible. To you know, me. I can't even hardly imagine that. <laughs> I know it because there's certain there're deer everywhere. There, you know, if there's certain parts of where we live here, there's just deer all over the place. Like too many know. sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I definitely agree with that. You know, if if there's a concern from a, uh, uh, so my business, Habitat Solutions three hundred and sixty. Yep. Um, I've been doing it for twenty two years now. If there's anything I have seen in the last five to six, seven years that concerns me a little, especially about southern Michigan, is the high deer numbers and the lack of landowners willing to harvest antlerless deer compared to what the same landowners 20 years were willing to do. 20 years ago, people didn't mind, went out, and they they focused on killing does. It was good to eat. There's nothing wrong with great antlers and big bucks. We all love them. I've got incredible stories and awesome hunts and had a great, great time with with all of this. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, the mega buck and, you know, the the, the 24-7 social media and forums and pages and, and, you know, it's just flash, flash, flash in front of everybody. And you, know, and, and, you know, if you're a young hunter and you go on Facebook and it's, you know, the second week of October, you're thinking you're doing something wrong because look at all these pictures, of these people killing these big deer. Yep. And you're like, what have I done wrong? Well, yep. you know, it just, it just doesn't work that way. And, and, you know, like everything, the harder you work, the yeah. luckier you get. Yeah. Okay. And there's very little luck involved, although there is some luck in hunting once in a while and we'll all take it. But, you know, I make my own luck i love and, that and i help a lot of clients make their own luck too so you so. think
0: that like you know getting back to how you got into this do you think that you were a deer hunter that kind of like found the conservation side of it or were you conservationist that kind of found the deer hunting side of it or
1: is there a um, mix it was a combination of both you know just number one just a just a love for deer because they were so rare and always a hunter i mean i, I hunted well, if it moved I shot it and ate it, okay? Sure. That's just how I grew up. And then as as a young man, and there were some deer around, I was just fascinated with being able to see them. And it wasn't like you could pick up a magazine in 1968 and read about scrapes and rubs and transitions and travel corridors and and edges. You just didn't read articles about that because it just wasn't, you know, there were places in Texas and down in Georgia where they were starting deer management and documented with a uh, really good deer biologist, that information was not coming to Michigan yet. Right. But it did, you know, in a short amount of time it did. So, yeah, I was fascinated with that. And in 1981, uh, my wife, Anaya, and I purchased this 67 and three-quarters acres that we're sitting on right now. Yep. And it, had, it was a great opportunity to, number one, own your own property, not have to knock on doors and deal with all the other competitors competitive hunters that were also so having can you, permission
0: can you go into like how that came on the market and how you got wind of it and or no
1: sure i mean it was uh it was one of those deals so my my mom and dad owned 65 acres to the northwest of us mm-hmm. and actually he picked up the phone one day and he said hey that you know this was called the talbert farm did you know the talbert farm was for sale and i said no i didn't know that it's just oh, word that. of mouth yep so Literally, you know, we drive down here, you know, a day or two later, and we look at the sign, and we contact the realtor, and we have a meeting with the realtor, and then you know the negotiations, and and back in those days, a bank would not loan any money on bare land.
0: Right. They just wouldn't do it. They
1: just it just it just wouldn't happen. So I was able to negotiate a land contract with the uh, landowners, and that's how we got started. And that's so that fantastic. was in December of 1981. Wow. And uh, from that day, the one thing I had learned is I had had permission to hunt other people's properties and I I knew in my own eyes what looked like really good deer habitat and what wasn't and so the spring of 1982 we started planting trees and changing things here immediately I a, immediately I had to open woods without any real thick understory I didn't have any bedding I was learning about that I was trying to change it so, so one step at a time. So okay. you,
0: you, when you bought this place, you knew that you were going to transform it right off? Yeah.
1: Yep. It was like, I'm going to take off and turn this into some of the best whitetail hunting, you know, just for me because I want a good whitetail hunting spot.
0: Did you have this vision of what, you, like, what you're doing today or did you like, not have any idea at that point?
1: I, I'll tell you what. I knew I wanted to do something and the driving force was me wanting to have a good hunting property. Right. And I learned through trial and error. And probably after the first 10 years, then I had a very clear vision of where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, if you think this is 2022, in 1981, nobody talked about food plots. You didn't pick up a magazine, read about food plots. Nobody talked about, you know, early successional growth and. And, you know, the benefits of timbering versus not timbering and all those things, which are, you know, active conversations with so many people. So there's just, you know, a lot more information available for every landowner and and hunter out there today compared to then. But, you know, it still is, it's still a journey. It still takes time. And you do have to have a vision. I mean, you know, to be successful managing your habitat, your land, you've got to be able to know where you're going to end up. Right. you'd like to end up, so a plan you got to start with a plan
0: so you you bought this place you started planting trees the following spring yes did you did you like i mean were, you showed me this that you you drew the property mm-hmm. when like did you have everything
1: dialed in your mind at that point no i i knew i needed spruce trees and conifers along the road edges and along some of my property borders because I wanted some type of screening so people couldn't look in because this area in those days was well-known for people that hunted deer at night with lights.
0: Is and that I, right? Yeah,
1: and so I wanted to, I knew it would take time, but I thought, you know, 10 years from now they're not going to be able to shine in here. There was a lot of shining and a lot of bad things happened in this Addison area back in those days. Wow.
0: So you planted trees that spring what what did you do next? I mean, I mean in terms of getting into your your business and how, how did that kind of evolve? So you know
1: during during that time I was still in the automation business and you know was was climbing that career which I loved. It was a lot of fun, traveled all over the entire United States, worked for all, you know, during the good years, you'd work with the automotive companies. When the automotive business was down, then you'd get with, like, the refrigerator manufacturers, the, the TV companies. I even did some uh, space shuttle work and some uh, the stealth bomber work. I did all the stealth bomber uh, projects when, when those were first coming up. So I, I went back and forth between aerospace and automotive and, you know, was just learning that trade and, and making money. Chasing money, chasing opportunities with the goal of paying this property off as fast as I could. That was the number one goal because it was a land contract and I just wanted to pay it off. Mm -hmm. So I was a working fool and my wife was a hard worker and we were goal-oriented young people. And we just said, if we can just keep at it, we'll be able to pay this place off and someday we'll be able to live here. Mm -hmm. Because even then, you couldn't build on this place. There was there Until was, you owned there it? There was township rules back in those days, yeah. Until you owned it outright? Yeah, until you owned it outright. Yeah, you couldn't put anything
0: on it. So were you just living the right, I mean... Yeah, I was
1: about 17 miles away. I had, I actually was, you know, we were doing well. So we had a lakefront home on a little lake in Jackson County. Okay. And uh, raised my two boys there. And they were, you know, great fishermen and all that kind of stuff. So it was great for the kids to grow up. and And I commuted, you know, from... To Ann Arbor and Lansing and East Detroit and Grand Rapids, wherever the work was, you know, I was a what they called a job shopper. So I love that. So they would, you know, I was a uh, an you engineer a for hire. Yeah,
0: I love that. Yeah. You had a goal, and you yeah. that that was the yeah. so, single focal point of your and, being.
1: Uh, and as I got better at it, just a little segue, as I got better in in my industry, and I was good at what I was doing. I could communicate very well with the with the blue-collar workers and the machinists, and I could also communicate with the executives about, you know, long-term forecasting and paybacks and things like that. And it got to where, you know, I would always tell them, as we get into October and November, you're not going to see me as much. What do you mean? i say, hey, you know, th- this is the way it's going to work. Your project will always be, it will be on time. It will meet every expectation you want it to do but there'll be days I'm not here and don't worry about it. And most places were pretty good with it.
0: Is that right? Yeah. You just told them. Yeah.
1: You know, because the the market was as such where if they said, well, there's no way that's going to happen, you're out of here, I'd say fine. And tomorrow I'd be working somewhere else. I mean, that's how good that market was back in those days. Wow. Yeah. And I was really good at what I did.
0: Is your, uh, do you tell your wife the same thing or is that a little bit different conversation?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, she knows the exact truth. Yeah. (laughs) She stood right with me all the way. Yeah. She loved it. She's very independent, just like me. Yeah. Do you, was, was there a lot of your friends, I
0: mean, you grew up here, were a lot of your friends um, kind of, like, driven like you were to, um, like, hunt and, and own a place and have, have that, um, that? Well, the coolest time?
1: thing is, um, back in those days, the, the first day of pheasant season at the, at the Addison High School was closed because we were all a pheasant hunting. And the first day of deer season, mm-hmm. nobody would show up to school. So that's how, that's how big of, of hunting was in the community. I love it's that. It's not like that anymore. I okay? wish it was. But it was like that. I mean, there was a time in southern Michigan that the pheasant season was a 10 o'clock opener. It was 10 o'clock mm. opening day. So everybody pulled into the fields and you are all watching the watch and we can't wait. And I don't know why they had that, but it was 10 o'clock. And, and the pheasants were unbelievable. I mean, you, like, like this switchgrass I showed you, if we couldn't have jumped 50 roosters... And thirty, forty hens in this twelve acres of switchgrass. It was a bad day, because that's how it was then. It was just incredible.
0: Do so you think it's gone down since then? Oh yeah, there's just
1: no, there's no birds here. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I get it. You know, I get one or two hens here and a couple of roosters, but I mean, it's not like it was. What yeah. uh, What day's the, the opener? It's uh, October twentieth. Is it the same? Yep, still, still the same day.
0: I got actually some pheasants on my place, and I usually hunt them after deer season, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I That's loved it I
1: absolutely loved it and when we were building the house here I had a different Labrador named Abby and Abby was a really good pheasant dog and we shot pheasants here for quite a while yeah uh, not a lot but we'd kill a couple you know a couple three maybe five in a season and you know I was I loved it and of course she loved it and it was a lot of fun you yeah. know I mean there's nothing like having a dog train and you shoot a bird she goes out and she retrieves it she brings it to you you know and she's just loving you, you yeah know? so yeah it's it's pretty cool so um, when I
0: first got here, you were sharing some of your, um, you, you said you got some awards and, um, can you kind of re-go through that and explain the QDMA and, and the the, the award that you got for the property? And yeah. Just so to kind of give some light on, on the, the property you have. So in
1: 1999, I met an individual that, uh, he's from Hillsdale County, owns property in Hillsdale County and, uh he was a he was the regional or or let me say our Lenaway County and some other counties he was trying to start an active QDMA branch. Mm-hmm. And super nice guy and we're still friends to this day and so I became a QDMA member and I really liked the organization what it stood for, you know, passing younger bucks, uh, harvesting yeah. an adequate number of does and and QDMA pushed habitat improvement big time, okay? food plots, timber, stand improvement, everything. So uh, as the years went by, I, I you know, always get in the magazine, go to, go to the monthly meetings, go to the annual meetings that they would have in different states. They'd have like a one or two day or three day convention. And I just really enjoyed the organization. So they ended up, uh, they as in quality deer management, offered different courses, You know, deer steward one, deer steward two, um, they also had a property certification program, and I can't tell you what the first two are, but there's three different levels. Well, the top level is legacy. So my farm was certified as a legacy land, QDMA legacy land, and there's a lot. There's a scoring system, you know. They'll, like if you're if you are not doing good with timbering, it's a potential five on the score, but you will only get two. And if you've got, uh, you know. Uh, well drilling or utility company right away well that's going to be a negative on the score and things like So there's a lot of scoring and and do you you know do you weigh your deer do you chart your deer do you pull the lower jaws on the deer do you track that data well then that's a plus score so there's all these you know scoring systems that are to help you make that grade but anyways I I was awarded that I've also completed deer steward one and two classes and then was awarded the deer steward three yeah and so yeah, so, so that that you know, as far as having any kind of credentials, that's the kind of credentials I've received from yeah. QDMA, which is now NDA, National Deer Association, they yeah. changed their name.
0: So if you're listening if you're if you're listening to this here, I just got a little glimpse of the property and it's impeccable. I mean, well, it's very you. impressive. Yeah. Well, thank you. And That's it's I, like I said, I have way more questions. Oh, I'm sure you than will. I have, you know, because answers.
1: You're, I'm I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I mean, you y- know, y- you've just bought a property in in the last year or so, right? Yeah, yeah, last February. So I mean, there's a lot for you to learn. A lot of things are going to happen in your life, but it's just such an exciting journey. I'm I'm excited for you.
0: I okay. appreciate it, man. I really am. Um, so you obviously love what you do.
1: Oh, I do. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic job. It, it you know it, it's it's awesome I I walk a lot of properties Um, I've cut it down I was doing about 70 to 80 properties a year Mm -hmm. and that's that's a you know when you uh, deal with the phone calls the emails um, you know like with any business you don't not everybody that contacts you books a plan okay they think about it maybe it's a little more than they can afford maybe they want to work with somebody else it doesn't matter maybe the timing's not right they want me there in the next three weeks I've got a, a list of customers ahead, and I say, look, I can't get t- to your place until April. They want me there in February, wh- whatever the deal is. So there's a lot. You know, I communicate with a lot of people to end up getting 50, 60 people on the calendar, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably communicate with at least three, four times that amount of people. So it's a full-time job doing the emails, the communications, the text messages, and, and today with Messenger and and text And phone and email, it just never stops. It's everywhere you turn, you know, which is good. I'm not complaining, but it's just a lot more to do.
0: Do you remember your first client, your first paying
1: client? Uh, Yes, I do.
0: Yep. Do you want to share anything about that?
1: Um, You know, it was a property that was about, uh, I'm going to say, 30 miles uh, northeast as the crow flies. And a a really neat guy that I had met at a quality deer management uh, event and uh he was from the detroit area and he knew i was you know he he'd seen what i was talking about and i'd done a few small presentations here and there and anyways yeah he was uh and and he did really really well if you know the town of manchester he's, he's north of manchester yep and he killed some really good some really good bucks during that time but he ran into some financial hardships about 10 years ago and had to sell it you know no. and you know i mean it happens to everybody and who knows what the exact story was but but he was killing uh, basically that upper five to ten percent of the bucks on that property by the time he had implemented my plan. and had ten years behind it.
0: So did you it, Did I saw on your website that you have um, people come by and, and you give a, like a little bit of a tour, probably similar to what you gave me. Oh today. yeah, and it's
1: it's very in depth. You know, we walk right into the bedding areas and the travel corridors, and I explain the stand setups and how I approach them. And then, you know, people uh, typically get to see exactly what this timber stand improvement looks like when you go in and notch and fall trees and hinge trees and just plain remove trees and why you do that. And I explain every aspect of, you know, everything from the doe bedding, doe family bedding groups, to the isolated buck bedding and how that relates to that three months out of the year that we're trying to hunt them.
0: Yeah. Okay. So is that a big part of your business, those workshops? Oh,
1: Well, not as much as... as, uh, no, I mean, it seems I, I like, like to do it. Do I that. like to do it, but uh, it's harder to get people, and it's re- it's really hard when you have a large crowd. You know, uh, eight to fifteen is awesome, but you get a, gr- a crowd of twenty-five to thirty, and and if, and I don't care what event it is, it's broken into three or four little clusters. Yeah, and a lot, and some of these clusters, you know, just because of the way humans are, don't hear, don't see, so it works better. And I, I'd like to focus a little more on that. I'm I'm leaning more on the education side of things sure. than to do the habitat plans because I, I mean it's it wears on you. There's a lot of travel. I still travel to multiple states. And, you know, I, I was all the way out to Iowa this spring. Is that right? And northern Missouri, which I absolutely love. I mean, I've just fell in love with northern Missouri. Really? Why well, is that? I, it's you know I think it's a sleeper. Um, you can buy an over the counter tag and kill. Tremendously big deer.
0: Well, we—you shouldn't have said
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you gotta have you—you you gotta you gotta number one own it, and so it used yeah. to be a place where land was somewhat affordable. That's changing because it, it like all good spots. But I mean, you know, it's it, yeah. I I really liked it. That's awesome. Still, still love it. You know, I have some really great clients out there that I've worked with for years. Central Missouri as well. Man, it just Missouri is a neat state. It it really is. Yeah, uh, a lot like Michigan as far as the amount of hunters.
0: Is it? Yeah, they're all yeah. packed yeah, in. Yeah, very
1: packed in. I mean, not so much as in hunter numbers, but I mean just the hunter heritage. Okay. Yeah. But they have the right culture. A lot of people in Missouri are willing to wait for uh, what they consider a wall hanger. You know, and I got some friends out there that a wall hanger for them is 180, 200 inches. Okay, I mean a 170, they just let them walk right by. Oh God, you know, God and bless them. I know. <laughs> you know So that's interesting. Uh, you
0: you go out there quite a bit or not?
1: Um, you know, a couple of times a year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out there. Uh, typically, you know, in in the March and April timeframe. Beautiful. Just just beautiful area. You know, really good genetics out there. Yeah, that's it's awesome. A, it's it's neat.
0: So you've said it multiple times, early successional growth. We, you said it multiple times when we were walking. Can you, like, if, if you're talking to an absolute dummy, what does that mean, and what do you actually,
1: so, what's the goal? Okay, so there's a term I use, and, and people will get this. You walk into a, a nature park, okay, and it's big trees, and it's almost green grass underneath the trees, and there's nothing growing other than these big trees, and so we call it park effect. It reminds you of a park. A lot of people love it. You walk in under the shade of big trees, and and most humans love the way it looks, love the way it feels. They go, oh, what a beautiful woods. All it's good for is squirrels and birds. I mean, there's no deer food there, and there's no cover. So early successional growth is what happens when you cut a majority of those trees down through standard timbering processes. When we're talking big trees, you know, 23, 25 inches and larger in diameter, those are big trees. They're going to be 50, 60, 90 feet tall. So those trees are notched and fallen and typically the logs are hauled away and sold for, for lumber and the tops are left in the woods and it creates a little bit of structure. But through that process, sunlight is now able to hit the ground where it was always shaded. In that ground, In all those years between the tweety birds eating seeds and squirrels eating nuts, hiding nuts, burying nuts, okay, woodpeckers hiding nuts and burying nuts, the sunlight and the rain hits the floor and there's what they call a seed bank that exists in that ground. All kinds of seeds from grasses to forbs to trees to shrubs. And once that sunlight can hit the ground, things start growing. And when it starts growing up out of the ground, that's called succession. So early succession is young growth. Got gotcha. you. And in a white-tailed deer's world, uh, you've probably seen a browse line drive by a field and look and see all the trees look like all yep. the lower limbs have been cut off about four to five feet. And so if they can't if they can't reach it, it doesn't do them any good. Okay. Yeah. So really, anything four or five feet and lower, a white-tail cannot utilize. So that's why early successional growth is so important in in white-tailed deer habitat, because that's their prefer, It gives them available food, digestible and palatable food, and it also provides cover. Yeah. But it doesn't take long. If you have beautiful stem density and small little trees and shrubs of all these different varieties, that looks awesome this year. Five years from now, there's only going to be about 30% of those growing, because through shade and competition nature has a way of thinning things out give it another 10 years instead of 30 stems per yard you're going to have three stems per yard but they're four or five inches in diameter and now they're 20 feet tall now there's open understory and nothing new growing so now you've lost the cover and you've lost the food right so constantly cutting your property is a really good thing so a lot of people don't like the way it looks okay but the deer love it
0: yeah so would you call that a clear cut, or is that or are you talking about hinge cutting?
1: Well, A combination. Uh, I mean, there's clear cuts, which, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of problems with, especially a commercial clear cut, because they leave so much of the debris on the ground, which restricts the ability of the early succession to come up naturally. If you went in there and raked all that stuff way off the ground, then all this new growth would come up. Not that the new growth doesn't eventually come up. It just kind of hinders it and sets it back a little bit. So a combination of notch and fall, like selective cut, a lot of guys talk about, oh, yeah, I had my woods recently select cut. And that means that a timbering logging company comes in, identifies uh, the high-quality timber that they're interested in, that they can make, you know, a good profit on based on the amount of uh, time they've got to put into it. And, you know, they cut those trees, take the logs out. leave the treetops you know where they fell right and usually it's you know it's going to be 25 to 40 percent of the hardwood so there's a lot of canopy left okay that doesn't take long even though there's holes in the sky after the the initial cutting walk back three years later those big open holes have kind of filled in because the other trees left standing reach into those openings and spread out and start creating shade again so a combination of notch and fall and hinge cutting and possibly clear cut because that's determined a lot of times by the species of the tree. Yeah. What, what are like some of poplar. those
0: trees that are good for like for um, select cut where it, you're getting money? What, what yeah, are some of those trees be, like right now? Yeah, that would be your
1: maples, your oaks, your walnuts, you know, um, walnut veneer cherries, You know, black cherry. Um, th- those are like your most popular select cut trees. Um, your clear cut trees are going to be your... Your popple, your aspen, um, your 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 soft maples, uh, that type of thing. Okay, our ash trees are pretty much all dying here in southern Michigan. You know that kind of thing. Not a lot of conifers. You know, like you get into you know halfway up through, uh, say north of of uh, Saint John's, uh, the Ithaca area, and then you start getting into more and more you know pine and spruce and cedar trees. You know more conifers. Okay? Right. And there is a good market in white pine and some of those other trees as well.
0: So when you hinge cut, what are some really good hinge cutting trees? Because you, um, you were telling me that you're known as the hinge cut guy.
1: Yeah, I've done an awful lot of it for a long time. It's very well documented. I have a lot of videos on YouTube about hinge cutting. Tell, tell me about hinge cutting. So hinge cutting is taking a live tree and cutting anywhere's from 50% to maybe as much as 75 to 80%, depending on species of the tree you're trying to cut through it just enough to get it to where you can actually push it over and it stays attached so it hinges and there's a cambrian layer that supplies all the moisture and the nutrients to the trees and the tree limbs and feeds that tree and so you've put the herd on that tree pretty seriously by cutting halfway to you know five-eighths of the way through that tree okay but in that process you're bringing all this deer food and the ends and the buds and the tips of the of the limbs that were up 20 feet, 30 feet down at the three and four foot level that deer now can browse. And if you can selective cut the larger trees or or notch and fall your big trees first, because they're big and heavy and they crush everything, and get that operation done first and then come in and hinge cut the smaller trees that are going to be in the four five six eight inch diameter and hinge those it takes a very large amount of sunlight to keep those trees alive because they've been injured pretty hard by do but the process of hinge cutting but you know um i didn't take any because this is a time of the year where you really can't see uh, you know these my a lot of these hinge cuts are full of deer right now right but a lot of these hinge cuts survive and stay alive and do really really well given enough sunlight and you don't cut too far through them and there's all these different methods for getting the tree to come over everything from plastic wedges to these habitat hooks there's a guy right here in, in Michigan his name is Nick Nation he's got a business called Nations Creations he uh, builds and welds and manufactures and sells a habitat hook which is an extendable uh, mechanism so that you can hook onto the tree and pull it and help pull it over or push it over depending on the size of the tree that's smart
0: i think i've heard of him yeah
1: yeah he's he's done a really neat job and and he does a a super good uh you know he's a good machinist he's got a engineering background that's where he comes from so he he does a real good job with it. he's a real good hunter he's got a small piece of property and and he and i talk a lot he's come out here and, and worked with me nice and uh you know i think i'm if i'm right around 10, 11 acres, 12 acres, that, that his house is on, and he's killed a couple of really good deer. That's awesome. And he's created some real good habitat, and some of the things we were talking about earlier, as in, you know, extremely low hunting pressure, only hunting when it's right, he's figured that out too. He he, he knows that if he hunts at the wrong time, he'll never get the chance on that buck he's getting on camera. Yeah. So he just, so you gotta strike when it's right, and it's a hard one to dis, to decipher, but once you've got the plan laid out, then you can make it happen.
0: Onyx is the number one GPS hunting app on the market. If you don't have Onyx, I would highly consider trying a free trial where you can get access to all 50 states and all of the mapping features and tools. Onyx allows you to send waypoints to your buddies. See public and private boundary lines and see where you stand in live time. It also has a new weather feature that allows you to track weather and wind so you can stay on top of your game. Literally. It's a no-brainer. If you go on your computer, not your mobile device, to onxmaps.com and use the promo code PAINTEDAROW, you will receive 20% off your Elite or Premium subscription. Know where you stand with OnX. There's nothing I like doing more than hunting elk in the western states. One of the main challenges of hunting big game species in western states is actually getting a tag. Furthermore, it's actually understanding each state's drawing systems, which can seem like a chore to figure out for beginners. Go Hunt is a company that has figured out how to simplify this obstacle for basic folk like you and me. GoHunt offers a subscription service called the Insider, which gives you access to the most accurate draw odds, species breakdowns, and strategy articles out there. Before I started using GoHunt, I would spend hours filing through kill harvest reports and data sheets looking for a good unit to hunt in, and using the Insider has streamlined this process making it easier and more efficient than ever before. This has allowed me to find a place to go hunt, hence the name. Visit GoHunt.com to find out more and to start a free trial with the Insider Subscription Service. Shoe Sporting Goods in Jackson, Michigan has been in the business of selling outdoor equipment for over 30 years. They have over 1,000 new and used guns and over 500 new bows for you to choose from. This family owned and operated company goes above and beyond to make sure that you are taken care of when it comes to buying gear. Use the promo code Painted Arrow5 at the checkout and receive five percent off your entire purchase. Yes, that does include guns and bows, folks. Go down to ShoePacks today. And when you're when we're talking about hinge cutting, are you are I feel like I feel like hinge cutting's talked about a lot, and maybe some cases over—I um, don't know—maybe done in, in cases where it's not necessarily needed. What are what are cases like when right. you're out walking a property? We're like, gosh, that that has to be hinge cut because of this, you know, X, Y, and
1: Z. What right. what, what, what is that reason? So I, I need to back up a little bit. I kind of talked about the mechanics of hinge cut, what it takes to keep yeah. hinges, but there's different methods you use for hinge cutting, and it is it is basically to create horizontal structure. And anybody who's fished a lake. When you find the structure, you find the fish. Right. Deer are no different. They love to be in and out of the edges of structure. Yeah. So um, there are times that you may hinge low. They're lower cuts. Deer like to get underneath in bed when it's done correctly. But low cuts, they can't get underneath. But you may kind of actually, in a way, kind of build a fence, so to speak. Trees on top of each other, gnarly, thick yeah. You're starting at knee high and ended up waist high, but it's just kind of a wall of trees. Well, that would be a visual screen. You're not trying to bed deer, but it may only be, you know, 10 yards wide, maybe a hundred yards long, 50 yards long, whatever it is. But it's a, a multiple different tree sizes that you hinge parallel to your walking path. And you'll put a couple holes in there so deer can cross, of course, but you're not bedding deer there. So that's a screening cover and there's also times you will hinge cut for bedding or hinge cut for security and then there's another one that's really kind of uh, the term is used but it's misunderstood and it's called a tornado zone and that's where you're hinging and notching and falling trees and it's like a tornado it's the trees are at all different heights yeah. and it's it's a big mess and it creates a lot of early succession but it's not it doesn't have a a defined Uh, walkway for deer to go through them and when I create bedding areas on my plans and actually uh, help the landowners physically do it there's a winding maze effect trail system that is cut through you know so a a lot of um, hunting shows that I see on YouTube don't really get hinge cutting because they show some trees cut you know three quarters of the way through at different heights kind of like you know a bomb went off and there's trees here trees there it's like geez how's the deer get through here well that's that's the first day or two where you make a mess the second and third day you go in there with your chainsaw and now you're very precise about where the deer are going to move and keep this for side cover and you create openings and nooks and crannies so that if you're looking down on top of it you know the deer can go forward backwards right left throughout this entire area might be as big as two to three or five acres where mm-hmm. all the trees have been cut and then as that young growth comes up it just becomes an absolute incredible some of you know any good thick area you've been with a deer love to bed it's it's a it's a bunch of cover four or five feet tall but it's it's not so blocked off that the deer can't move through it
0: so that's that's what that is you're creating bedding yep. that's the is that yep. the focal right point yeah I'm, tra-
1: I'm trying to create designated bedding areas yeah so there's certain times uh landowner hires me and we're walking down his lane he's parked his truck and he shows me his first couple of tree stands oh yeah this is a good one you know this is a good movement zone here so the last thing i'm going to do is say oh man right there by your stand we need to put bedding because you can't have bedding next to where you're hunting okay and or maybe he'll have an incredible nice open wood lot that's kind of park effect and it really needs the work and it would make great bedding and I'll say, you know, this would it would make sense to create this into one or two bedding pockets, but we gotta move your stand because you can't be in here hunting. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna relocate your stand, we're gonna we're gonna kick this food plot over a hundred yards and you're gonna plant some everything from spruce trees to warm season grasses or miscanthus grasses. You're gonna have some type of a living screen and then your your system's gonna work for you. Yeah. Hinge cutting I think has been, uh, it's gotten a bad rap because some people go in and use it where it's not needed. Yeah. Um, some of the people that watch my, that have never personally met me, never been out here on this property for a tour, see some of my YouTube videos, think, oh man, Jake has cut all his woods. And I haven't.
0: No, I There's, can, I'll, there's certain I'll areas <laughs> of,
1: of your woods that you want to leave open because during a prime time rut, I want to eventually get to that thick hinge cut, but to get there, I don't want to run into deer that are bedded. So I want to leave open. So I kind of explain it. I build a Hotel Hilton for deer. And I build a 500-room hotel for 50 residents. And I let them decide which ones they want. But the Motel 6 that was over here no longer gets used because there's Hiltons everywhere. I mean, man, they got, you know, they got the Playboy suite and they've got you know room service. These bedding areas that I create for them are very good, constantly used. The deer really love them. Okay.
0: That makes a lot of sense, actually, so, when you explain it yeah. that way.
1: <laughs> so that's really what I'm trying to do is give them, you know, an ideal bedding area that they will co- constantly and consistently use. And, you know, in, in those bedding areas, the larger they are, the more attractive they are to doe family groups. Because doe family groups, you know, you got Grandma doe. She's 6, 7 years old. She's had, you know twins for the last five years half of those twins were females they're still with her yeah they're all these different ages they've they've got fawns it can be a group of nine or eleven i'm sure you've seen it same bald-headed group comes out every night where you know comes through this area so they prefer to bed together as a family group and feed together and travel throughout whatever their home range is and then you know your bucks they get Especially during the, uh, you know, as the, as the rut is coming, they become very solitary, very competitive with one another. So they're they're all about themselves. You know, the younger bucks, yeah, they're still buddies. You right. know, if You start getting three, four, five year old whitetails. They're pretty much all by themselves, and they prefer to bed in a very small, isolated areas. And so, in the plan, anyone's plan, you want to make sure you have large what you call doe family group bedding, and then you want isolated, secluded individual buck bedding. Mm-hmm. And all that really means is in the summer, you could have does and fawns in that buck's bedding area. It's a small area, and it's just big enough for mom and her two twins. Yeah. But in the fall, it's a nice area that gives him about three or four locations to bed in a small area, depending on the wind. If the wind's out of the north, he's going to back up against a tree or a brush pile He's going to have his back right up against it. He's going to be looking south. Yeah. And vice versa. And if it's west wind. So he may use one, like, you know, 10-yard area, but that's pretty much his area. So as as you have competitive bucks, you've got to have multiple locations because, you know, five-year-old bucks don't bed together. Yeah. Right now, they're licking each other's faces and they're buddies. (laughs) But that's all about to change come mid-October, early November. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's all part of the plan and just understanding that, you know, there is a separation of the sexes. They, they treat the property different. They've got different needs. And so the, the property plans that I put together and all the information I give my clients is for them to realize that it's great getting pictures of bucks in the summer. And that part's awesome. But you know what? The property is set up to attract does and bucks during the fall. Yeah. Okay. So you, before
0: you go to a client, you probably have, you know, they probably talk to you and you have some information and you kind of know what you're looking for as you go in. But if I'm just going to like put you in a new place, you know, let's say we're in 120 acres square, you know, square parcel. Like what, what are what are you looking for? Like first off, like what is the first thing you're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get my eyes on well, this or. I'll
1: tell you the first thing I look at and a lot of people do not look at this. Yeah. The first thing I do when I get out of the truck is I kick the ground and check out the soil. Is that right? Yeah. soil's everything. Everything that's in that white-tailed deer starts with the soil. He can, you know, To express his potential, it has to be in the vegetation he eats. And the vegetation has to be able to get the, the nutrients that's in that soil. If there are not nutrients in that soil and it's poor soil, then there aren't near as many nutrients. And he's got to eat three times as much of not the best palatable sweet food. Right. So he won't have the biggest body and the biggest antlers okay, that he possibly could. Mm-hmm. They've proven that with supplemental feeding and all the testing that all these different deer biologists have done and, you know, throughout the country. They take certain—and you know, they put deer in a pen— and they feed them nothing but the greatest food possible, and you know, and they grow to you know 250 pounds and 200 inch antlers, and they've got deer in another pen, and they're reducing their food, in, you know, nutrition intake. Just like you and I, we wouldn't right. have the bodies we have today if our nutrition intake was bad during our growth, you know, time period of our lives. Do you think so, like
0: natural deer, uh, natural? Considering the thing you just described, not natural. Um, like deer in Michigan, where we are right now, like. Is is a big part of that, the food that they're getting, or is it you think more the seclusion? Or well, what? it's a
1: combination of things. But number one, this, you got to have good soil. Yeah. So that whatever, whether it's a tree, a tree, a shrub, a forb coming up out of the ground, that is browse. Deer browse on that. Yeah. Digest it. They got a you know four section stomach. All all this different process of how they go through it. But they their body is designed to get the you know to take all all that nutrition and run it through their system so it does good things for them. Um, But age age is important too. So nutrition is, you know, that's really good. But age, age is the one thing we as hunters have control over. It's a little harder to control the nutrition. And trying to control genetics is about impossible unless you were fortunate enough to own a 20,000-acre ranch or something like that. Right. Because a deer's home range, you know, just a a typical year-and-a-half-old buck Moves around somewhere around 2,000 acres at when he's a year and a half old. You know? Yeah, and and it's not it's not a square, it's not a circle, but I mean he's got a range that goes you know follows creek beds and swamp edges and you know woodlots and things like that. But he mm-hmm. wanders around a lot, and as they get older, that range shrinks a little bit. And uh, you know that's that's part of you know what what makes them who they are. But with good food. That helps them, you know, at least grow to their potential. And then up to us as, as uh, hunters, landowners, if we are able to pass that younger deer and hope that it, you know, doesn't get hit by a truck and it makes it through the hunting season and then, you know, it gets to the following year, you know, we as hunters like to hunt older age class bucks. They're much more difficult to get close to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I am have a love for bow hunting. And my deal is getting, is killing mature deer very close. Yeah. You know, so, you know, killing a five and a half, six and a half year old deer at, you know, 18 to to 10 yards away is a a pretty cool feat in Southern Michigan because there's not many of those five and a half year old bucks around. There's really not. You know, know, they're, uh, they're almost a unicorn. (laughs) You know, if you, if you look at the numbers and how it works, you know, and I don't want to get into the politics of Michigan's deer uh, management, but it could be better. Um, you know, it could be be a lot better, but, you know, but it is what it is. So, you know, hunters have the opportunity to shoot the first three inch antlers they see and they can kill two of them. Yep. And so a lot of these young bucks that could end up being beautiful, 140 inch wall hangers that that particular hunter would be so proud of will never, ever get there because they're killed when they're young. Yep. Okay. And that's just, that's the reality of the world. That is the reality. And I was that guy. I mean, man, when I was... I was 14, 15, you know, into my early 20s. I shot those young. I shot the first young buck. I was proud of it, man. Loved it. Bragged about it. Showed pictures to everybody. And uh, It's interesting how that changes as time goes on, isn't it? I got into the 80s, mid-80s, and I killed a real nice 8.1 morning with uh, a shotgun that my wife had bought for me for Christmas, a 12-gauge with a buck barrel and all that. And uh, um, shortly after that, Like a two-year-old eight-point come walking by, and I said, "You know what? I'm not going to shoot that." And on and off during that mid-80s to early 90s, once in a while I'd slip and I'd kill. I'd kill a really nice year and a half that I thought was two years old. It turned out to be a year and a half, and then from that point on, I just haven't killed young deer.
0: I did that that buck that I was telling you that had a damaged brow tine on the 16th of November. I was just because I, I the the video that I showed you the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit buck shot him on the first of October and I was hunting pretty hard late October, early November, and I, I was wanting to kill something and oh yeah and I thought the deer that had come in I I swore he was a three and a half year old buck and then you bad. walk up on him and he was you know two and a half and I I really I I do want to shoot older age class deer but um I mean it happens I mean oh it does and, and I'm I'm still at the point too in my trajectory where I, it's you really, ten, it's really hard to pass a you know, decent and, eight point. And, uh,
1: <laughs> when, when that deer's on the ground, we should celebrate it. We really should. You know, yeah. I, this, the shaming people about, oh, you know, what'd you kill that for? You know, and look, it's dead. You know, we, we, you can't, we, we can't do catch and release. So enjoy it. And, and if the hunter has a little remorse later, sounds like maybe you did. Um, hey, that's just all part of our gr- You know, yeah. we, you climb a ladder one step at a time. Okay. Yeah. And it took me a long time to get where i'm at today to where i really really try to kill something four and a half and older yeah i mean i you know not not every time i can but um i've been pretty consistent with it for the last 10 15 years now yeah and uh, and i pass a lot of nice deer that don't make it they go somewhere else and die (laughs) you
0: said something really interesting when we were walking and I, i just want you to talk around it if you can you said that the, you said the average amount of days you go out and hunt a deer you you kill it within the first or second hunt right yeah can you kind of just walk through like what are you thinking about what's yep. your like just just walk through that for me
1: so the reason i can say that is i have i have i showed you my one setup i have really good early season hunting secluded food source great pinch point uh bulletproof access. Bulletproof access. When it's hunted under the right conditions. And I've owned this property a long time as my story has unfolded. And I know that when the wind is out of the Northwest and it's post cold front, that is the cold front has come through. Mm -hmm. Now our pressures are rising. There are very magical things that happen in early season when those conditions all come together. And sometimes it's Three four times during October last year, we never got an early season cold front. I went right into I think it was October twenty second before I had a decent enough uh, cold front to hunt that stand I showed you. And I did pass a really good deer that night. Okay, but it wasn't quite wasn't quite what I wanted. Um, so I have really I have a really a real good setup, good food source, undisturbed food source no human scent no cameras on that plot there's there's absolutely no cameras there's no there's no plastic odor there's no battery odor there's no human in there checking that camera this is
0: the second one
1: yeah the second plot i showed you that's so it's it's a it's left for the white tails okay and they're in there different times but who cares but under those conditions i have found that i can have good opportunities with afternoon hunts because a food source for early season so you can't do an early season hunt in the morning because you can't beat the deer to those food sources in the morning so it's always an afternoon hunt but when the conditions are right I can if I you know and and through summertime and early fall I know what kind of bucks I've got using this property you know I've got my inventory I've got my quote hit list okay sometimes I nickname them sometimes I don't now, that's for early season. So, you know, I can try that early season hunt, and it might be one hunt, it might be two hunts, but sometimes it takes, you know, it might be uh, uh, two years ago, it was October 2nd, okay? Had perfect cold front. It was, man, went out there first time of the season, Wham, had him dead at, at dark, okay?
0: The deer you were after. Yeah,
1: yeah, that one right there.
0: Is that right? Yeah, yeah, first hunt. Okay. And you that that was the one in your mind like, Oh yeah, that was the
1: one I was going that was the one I was going for. Um them so, on the second. Yep, October second. So
0: Man, we were celebrating together. We didn't yeah, even know it.
1: Yeah. And uh I've also got really good I was talking about hinge cuts, and through hinge cuts you create travel corridors and pinch points. And I build these pinch points to catch deer movement based on the direction of the wind and the fact that these bucks are trying to get downwind to where the preferred doe bedding is, the scent check does, and I'm, I'm there waiting for them. And so if I can't hunt those deer successfully on the food source, say the cold front never comes, and now it's, uh, it could be October 28th, it could be November 4th, but if all of a sudden, man, I've got a cold front, I've got 20-some degree temperature change, I've got rain, sleet, snow, high winds, now it's out of the northwest, I've got a bluebird day, it's, it's high pressure, I'm going in and I'm hunting there all day. I'm not moving, I'm putting in all day. And usually I kill that deer on that day. Not, not always, but the guys that know me know I kill those deer when I go in. Send him the picture and say, yeah, I got him. <laughs> or I'll send a picture of the blood trail, you know, yeah. and my one buddy will say, oh, it looks like he's not far, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> it's very cool. And it's just neat when it happens. Yeah, that's, um,
0: that's one thing that, I mean, a lot of things stood out to me. And like I told you, I got a lot more questions, I think, than yeah. anything. But your, your
1: access is bulletproof. So to kind of summarize it, um, you, want to know, you want to know where your good food sources are. Mm-hmm. That you know your deer, your whitetails are using, and that can change everything from a food plot to oak stands that are dropping acorns. To I even showed you some some wild plums that I've got. You know apple trees, all these different mast crops that can change. So throughout the season, the deer move with the food. Okay, and so and so you want to know. And have several different food sources, if possible, like I do. You also want several different locations for really good designated bedding. With stands all set up for all every wind that we get. I've got stands for east winds, south winds, north, north, northwest, you name it. I've got stands set up. So that when it's the right time of the year and the conditions do finally overlap that I'm looking for, I can go in there and hunt that deer.
0: Yeah. How many stands do you think you have on this sixty-seven and a three-quarter? About acre twenty-seven.
1: Pump? Twenty-seven. Yeah, and I might hunt eight or nine of them a year.
0: So you're very you're, you're just basically set.
1: Yeah, I'm set for you know. Hey, I've got a I've got an incredible setup that I, I set two years ago, and when I finally get that east wind in the rut, it will, it's bulletproof. If you saw the same thing, and you see how I get in, the setup the travel corridor i mean man it was it's just i'm just waiting for that day but i've said it two years ago and i we've had east winds in early season but i didn't have an east wind during the rut and it's of course it's right in the bedding so i don't go into the bedding areas until it's the rut my
0: you know? place feels like like when i when i'm in my mind walking my property it feels wild compared to like your property yeah. Like yeah it's very yeah. controlled it's so, very laid out it's very detailed so it's without very
1: seeing yours but knowing what i've gone through and what so many of my clients i mean i'm close to 1800 different clients i've worked with over the years um you have random deer movement i've taken deer movement and made it very predictable very i I mean they're going to use this corridor they're going to hit this food source so if the wind's out of this direction they go to this food source if the wind's out of this direction they go to that food source yeah okay and i've got stands and access points all set so i can get in and out of there yeah and as great as it is getting in successful you've got to get out successfully interesting and so with my back plot that i showed you (coughs) sometimes you know it's gotten dark and there's still several deer out there you wait out there? And I text my wife, and she'll come get me with the electric cart. She puts the lights on, she makes noise, and they just blow off. And I get down out of my stand and get in that cart and drive off, and they, none, they don't, don't even realize I was there. They just, oh, somebody came in with this cart. So that's a really good way. You know, I've, I've, uh, I've got certain friends where their wives, you know, drop them off with the side-by-side or the pickup, and it works. You know, there's some scent issues with that. And I'm a real set control nut, and we, we can go into that, you know, probably some other time. But We're going to have uh, to do a second and uh, third follow-up. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> I, I really am. I mean, I've, you know, this is the only place I hunt in Michigan is this property. So I can't screw it up. If I go in there and contaminate it and do something stupid, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, that target buck, I didn't kill that, that hunt. Now he's, he's moving around, and he's smelling where I walked and the tree limbs I touched, he now knows he's being hunted, yeah. Because now there's human scent where there has not been any human scent for the last three months. Now it's here and it's fresh. Yeah. So he's on alert. Yeah. And he may completely change his, his daytime movements because of that. It all depends on the personality of the buck. But I've, I've killed a couple that are like that. You know, they're just so sensitive.
0: <clears throat> so I got a couple of really important questions. So, what what do you think? There's three of them. Let's see if I can remember them all. For, so first off, what do you think the most Uh, the most what do you what do you think the biggest mistake is that some of your clients make um, when you go there and you just you you're strolling for the first time and you're like the the number one thing that you see in common that really hinders Um, your clients from shooting big bucks
1: they don't they don't think about their access Um, they've got stands right out in the open i mean, crap! you can see that you can see that tree stand from 250 yards away yeah it's right on the edge of the bean field and they walk right down the edge of that bean field. What they don't realize is right on that knoll in that area where the thick grass and the and all the crabapple trees are. There's deer bedded. They just don't see them, but those deer see them. Plus, you know, they smell them and and they yeah. So access is a big mistake. Hunt too often. That's another boy. That that's that's the hardest thing for guys. Some people are are. That's me. Um. I just visited a, a client's property I was at 10 years ago. And he's up in uh, Misaki County, okay, in, in the antler proposal area. And so it's northern Michigan. Yep. And he has done incredibly well. with. Uh, he gets that if he goes into the wrong stand at the wrong time, it's all over. He killed two really good deer on that property last year. I mean, r- super good deer for that region, okay? So man. he's dialed in. So he's dialed in and understands that if the conditions aren't right, if the wind isn't right, don't go in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know.
0: I've heard that. I'm not going to say. say you
1: can't get a second opportunity because deer have di- like if you uh, deer have different personalities. Some man, you can booger them a couple of times. They don't bother them any. They're just the way they are. But man, you're you know you're going to find one someday that is just man, one mistake and he's on to you. Okay. Yeah. And I've hunted a few of those. And they're, they definitely, you know, check your wits out. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so that's it, you know. And then um, not everybody, but I would say way over 50% of landowners, not only Michigan, Indiana, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, have uh, box blinds, elevated stands, which are awesome, keep you out of the weather, uh, Some keep the windows shut, fairly scent tight, okay, but they hunt them too often. And, they, and they're always popped out in the middle of the fields, okay? I know. And, I feel and, the same way about and that. And they're kind of exposed, and uh, we didn't walk out. I should have walked out to where you could see the front of that blind of mine, but, I mean, you cannot see it. I can go up that ladder in the back. I've, I have gone into that blind I don't know how many times, opened the door, got in, look out the window, and there's not deer but good deer 30 yards in front of me. I have no idea because, number one, the wind's in my face. I'm quiet. I mean, I'm Mr. Stealth, Okay. From the moment, uh, once I walk out of this yard, I am, I'm in sneak mode. I take my time. I'm not making any unnecessary noises. I'm not trying to heat up my body. So I'm doing everything I can to not smell like a human, <laughs> number one, which, you know, is impossible to do because we can't get rid of it. But I do the best I can. Yeah. And bottoms my boots and all that stuff. And then just take my time and go in. And I told you, I, also, I always go in early. If yeah. I'm going in for an afternoon hunt and it's early season, I'm going in way before I expect to see deer. So you you said that too. You you
0: usually don't hunt mornings.
1: I don't hunt any mornings in October, what? especially this property, because it doesn't matter where I go. You you can't beat the deer to them. You're just going to blow them up. But
0: November is different.
1: Yeah, that's now now the rut's in. Uh, any if you pay attention. You'll find there's times all the all the ag fields around you, there's deer in them all the time, and then it's just like somebody hits a switch and there's no deer out there. That's when the does are coming into heat. The does are moving off of those fields and they're going into the cover. So October 28th, you're not hunting in the morning. I might if it's a uh, uh, if it's a northwest wind, cold high pressure. I might hunt. I might hunt the morning.
0: Cause I really like mornings.
1: And and that's so that's I have blown a lot of deer And that's too. that's right on that you know that cusp of October 26th, October you know Halloween that time frame. That's that's when we're moving. We're going from the pre rut into the rut. If if my cameras are telling me that there's a four and a half or a five and a half year old buck on his feet moving during daylight, you darn right I'm going in in the morning, because I'm not going to a food source. I'm going to the bedding area. Yeah. And I'll take that risk. I might bump a couple of deer, but I'm hunting all day. You know, and anytime I go into a bedding area, I'm there all day.
0: So are those stands box blinds for your all-day hunts? No, no,
1: they're hang-ons. Hang-ons. Yep.
0: Are, are those the only couple um, of box blinds right here, the ones that you showed me?
1: Yeah, I, I have a total of four here on the okay. property.
0: Yep. Interesting.
1: Yep, and those are you know you can bow hunt out of them. You can also gun hunt, uh, kill does out of them. You saw the one I've got very close to the garage here that I killed those out of. Just a great setup. And here's neat because you don't have to worry about scent control. Right. Everywhere they go, they smell pepper. They smell me. I drive my tractor through there. They don't care. Yeah. They do, I mean, they're just so used to it. Right. So I mean, now by the time you've killed the third doe, they're starting. Um, they're they're figuring it out. Okay. Right. You know. People are dying around here, okay? <laughs> or, or deer are dying around here. Sorry, and yeah, you know they they feel the pressure like anything. You put pressure on them, they're going to respond to that pressure. Yeah. But I'll go, you know, um, I'll go out and kill a couple of does and kind of back off for a couple of weeks. And I always, I do have a camera on that one because it just lets me know what's happening. I say, oh yeah, the does are in there every day, every morning. Now I'll go back and kill a couple of more does.
0: I'm I'm definitely the guy who it's it's really really hard for me not to go out and hunt. Well, oh, I, I I get it you know what i, I mean oh and i think my. with age yep. you know your, your yep. goals change you you know you want to start shooting so, older class deer but it is really really hard for me especially now i'm living oh yeah i place. mean
1: you've got an investment you're putting in time you're you're you know you're yeah y- your cameras are telling you you got a good buck you miss man you can't kill him on the couch exactly. right exactly but too many times out there can really eliminate your chances to kill that deer yeah i will tell you a uh, uh, a common theme that I hear from clients. I think this will go good with people listening to this podcast. I get a lot of clients that say, you know, here, here's my deal. I I got a good property. We've got our access down pretty good. We're growing food plots pretty good. Um, We probably overhunt a little too much. They'll they'll tell me that in the beginning. They'll say, we get all these really nice bucks on camera. And by the first or second week, October, we never get any pictures. And the neighbors that never hunt except the first day of gun season always kill them. Well, <laughs> well, guess where those bucks went? Exactly. They went over there where there's nobody hunting. Yeah. So they've, they've pressured those deer. And, uh, you know, I pressured them enough to where they're avoiding that guy's property. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So and, <clears throat> you seem very content with the amount of ground you have. Do you do you ever, like, find yourself wanting to buy more property?
1: No. Not, not, I mean... Hey, if I hit the lottery, I'd love to own 600 acres because then I could own, you know, own a very large portion of home range. Yeah. Okay? It'd be, you know, I'd have to hire people to help me take care of it because that's a lot of ground. It okay? is. Especially when you add up the perimeter. Okay. You've, you've got miles now and that's a square mile. So you've got four square miles of perimeter or four miles, linear miles going yep. around one square mile. Yeah, so that's a be, lot of perimeter to maintain.
0: You'd be broke trying to plant yeah. trees.
1: I mean, that would be fun. That would be a fantasy thing. You know, oh sure. man, you know, if I somehow hit the 100 million, yeah, that's, you know, I'd probably go somewhere and do that, you know, just for the fun of it. Why not? Okay. Uh, I got a couple of friends of mine that have things went right and they've bought very large chunks of ground, you know, 1,800 acres, you know, wow. 4,000 acres. Yeah, that's pretty cool when you can buy that kind of chunk of ground. But uh, I'm very content with what I have here, okay? And I'm just willing to wait. Um, That's I'm, a blessing, really. You know, uh, patience it isn't for everybody. Some people they just can't do it. You know. Yeah. And you and you saw these first two blinds that are up close, and they they work for observation blinds. You hear that term, observation? So, you know, if you're just dying to hunt and I want to know what the bucks are up to, I'll just sit in that blind and I'm not on a doe hunt, but man, my binoculars are everywhere and I'm looking over that hill and I can see my target deer come out that last five minutes. He never steps into the field. He just hangs on that edge. I watch him work a scrape or two. And then you'll just see him go back into the woods. It's like, okay, he's just stepping out, looking at the girls, sizing up his competition then just going back into his bedding area. He's just not quite ready yet. Those mature deer, they know when the does are in heat. Yeah. Okay. They know. They know who and they know who is. Yeah. Have you ever experienced what they kind of call a breeding party? And that is a hot doe with four, five, six bucks, and yep. three of them all wall hanger shooters in hot pursuit of that doe. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. That doe's in heat, <laughs> she's and she's ready, you know. Yeah. And I've I've witnessed it, and and I've I've done everything. I've yelled at the top of my voice with a bow in my hand to get these bucks to stop, you can't get them to stop. Yeah. And it's pretty frustrating when you got you know a nice 140s or you know a potential 150s buck right there. He's ten yards and he's running and he's zigzagging. You can't get him to stop to get an arrow in him. What did you call that? Kind of a breeding party.
0: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Devin, my partner, who couldn't be here today. He has a really good story from last year of a, just that, where yeah. doe comes through and literally, here comes a buck. Here comes a buck. Oh, yeah. And they kept getting bigger yeah. and bigger. And yeah. Um, yeah, that's happened a couple times for me, but it is a, kind of a rare occurrence when you see, like, three or four really big deer following oh, yeah. a trail. And I, yeah. mean, I mean, it's not yeah. uncommon, but it's...
1: Oh, yeah, it's kind of rare, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not always, like, six you know 140s and to 160s because yeah this is in Iowa okay yeah but you know you'll see everything from four year olds to you know maybe the last two bucks are year and a half. but they're still you know they're the last ones and they're, and they're they're bringing up the rear in case something happens and she slips yeah. you know they'll take a, a advantage <laughs> of every opportunity so it's it's pretty cool
0: what's your favorite single day to hunt i mean and why
1: um november 5th
0: November 5th. It's kind
1: of a magic day. I've had incredible deer hunts on that day. It it seems to be the kind of day that mature deer are on their feet. Boy, I see a lot of, a lot of good deer. Killed some nice bucks on November 5th.
0: Are you uh, no doubt going to be in the woods the whole day on November 5th?
1: Um, No. No? Great day, but if the conditions aren't right. I've just learned that if the wind's wrong... And can say say it's not high pressure, it's low pressure, it's a southeast wind. Yes, it's the rut deer move, but my setups don't allow me. I can get in my stand, but the buck won't be there. He's going to be on the other side of the bedding area because he's always using his nose. Okay, and you know it's like nope, he's going to come in over here, and there's just a good chance he'll get a whiff of me. So even
0: on November fifth, the number one day for you, yeah. if it's not right, you're not going in. I'm not going.
1: Yep, I'll just wait. But you you have and 27 I'm,
0: stands. Yeah. So I'm, you know. You want to choose a different and, stand? You
1: know, and, and uh, you know, at that time, that is like, that's prime time rut. That means I want to be in the bedding areas. And maybe I will have, have one spot, okay? But there's been times I don't go. Yeah. But usually I got him dead by then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say November 1st is a real close second. I've killed a lot of nice deer on November 1st. I, yeah. I like six and seven pretty yeah, good. Six and seven. I don't know if you know who Bill Winky is. I do, and he's I really a really a big uh, fan. Su- super cool dude, you know. And, and I've followed him for years, and you know he's been blessed with great property. Sold his awesome property, bought a new property recently. But I think he said he had a he had a like a favorite three days that I think it was sixth, seventh, and eighth. And I've I've killed some nice, There's a couple of these nice bucks I killed on November eighth too. Yeah, the eighth. So yeah, the, eight. the eighth is a real good day, you know. That's when I killed Brutus. That was a that was a very special hunt for that deer just because of all the different factors. I you know, I, I listed all the weather factors. I didn't get into moon position. I'm not a moon phase guy at all, but I really pay attention to the position in the sky. And that was one of those days where everything was right and the moon position was right and I was willing to wait until the moon position was right. And nine out of 10 Michigan hunters would have gotten in their stand that day, you know, half an hour before daylight and hunted till 1030 and 11 and didn't see squat. Crap, I'm going to go back and have coffee and breakfast. Nothing's moving. And they're leaving at the wrong time because we had a, we had a, um, a moon, uh, major at, uh, about 1130 that morning. I killed him right about that time. And. 20 minutes before then didn't see a deer i mean from daylight up till then didn't see a deer Then all of a sudden the woods was full of deer
0: wow we're gonna have to do another podcast yeah. on that because i don't quite understand you know, that and, and it's it,
1: it, you know i always tell people i've i've uh, other people have asked me about it it's not the one thing but it's sort of that chocolate syrup on ice it's cream. enough if if these other factors overlap And you know those three factors you know the Post-cold front, northwest wind, high pressure. Those are the three keys as far as weather. Yeah. And I'm I'm on those, okay? Then if I've got a moon position, a favorable moon position, a moon minor or a moon major, then I'm real excited. And if it happens to be that first eight days of November, I'm there. Okay? I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm not leaving. I mean, I, I, you know, it used to be, you know, an all-day hunt was just grueling to me. Oh, my gosh, it's, noon swear it's six o'clock okay yeah you know but now i can just sit in that stand all day with no problem yeah just wait and you'll have you'll have some dead times but i've killed some nice deer between 11 and 2
0: i've seen i've seen a lot of good deer in midday yeah Yeah, it's it's interesting isn't it it is
1: it is so um so to wrap it up you know good access uh, be disciplined and not over hunting these yeah. stands that you've put your time in. And then wait. wait. If, if you own, say, 40, 50, 60 acres, and it's the only piece of property you have to hunt, if you're lucky enough to have a dozen different properties to hunt, then hey, more power to you. You can kind of go mess up this property and then go to this one and let that cool down. But if you're a person like me, that's what I do. I, I have my, my great bedding areas, my good food sources. I got good access. And then I'm disciplined enough to just wait until it's the right time. I love that. You know, so success—it's worked real good. Yeah, you can see I've killed a couple. <laughs> Just a few. I think there's 78 bucks on the wall in here. Is that right? Yeah, all—all all from this property. Is that right? Yeah, every deer was killed on this property. Well, except that—see that little four-point? That's got the—that's my first buck with a bow. And that wasn't shot here. That was killed in, in uh, Hillsdale County on a farmer's property that gave me permission for a few years. That's on the On the ground, double X 75 aluminum arrows. Uh early seventies. Yeah. It was, it was freaking awesome.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> Everybody's got that first yeah. one and it's real yeah. special. So that's why it's
1: still there. You know. But every other whitetail you see here was killed on this property.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Um so yeah, we definitely gotta do I think a follow up yeah, podcast I'd look forward in the future someday and just and just catch up. But uh is there anything that that you wanna mention? Do you wanna plug your your company or well, you got more business and um, so you know what to do with?
1: You know, hey I um I I do well. I've got business. Um, We're getting at the tail end of the season where I've got personal things I'm trying to get done, you know, older parents, things that have to happen. But uh, if people want to look me up and find me and follow me, it's uh, Habitat Solutions 360 on YouTube, HabitatSolutions360.com website. And then on Facebook, it's just Habitat Solutions 360. Yep. And uh, I was looking at it this morning. Yeah. You know, I... I, uh, you know, I'm busy during the, the springtime and, you know, from basically Christmas time all the way through June, as you know, we were trying to hook up. Yep. But now I've got time to add content and start putting some things up, you know, that I'm doing. Yeah. And I enjoy doing that too. Yeah. You know? and I, I like to share information. I'm a big believer in that. Yeah.
0: Know? No, well, you're, you're uh, a cool guy. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't, you know, it's never, you never know what to expect when nope. you, when you meet somebody. Same here. Or, I,
1: I'm really glad to have met you. Yeah. Dave.
0: I appreciate that. You know? I
1: really do. Uh, and you got, you got the coolest thing in the world ahead of you, okay? Yeah. You have no idea how great it is. And you're hunting during the most awesome times. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Michigan is changing, and it's changing not because of the regulations. It's changing because of the hunters that want change. Yeah. More people are passing. I agree. The, the, the biggest buck's being killed in Michigan now. I not agree. Not 20 years ago now, okay? Yeah, it is. And hunters are passing willing to pass deer i'm sure you you've got a handful of friends that you know that don't shoot two and a halves yeah don't kill a year and a half yeah man when i was <laughs> your age everybody was killing year and a half yeah. okay i never met anybody that passed the deer that's yeah <laughs> if it's brown it would kick you it's yeah. down yeah. yeah that's how it
0: was so, yeah uh, but i i think yeah. it's super interesting i mean our conversation i jumped all over but um sure i had a bunch yeah. of notes and i didn't even touch well, Th- two thirds of them. That's the way it should be. <laughs> it's just
1: kind of organic, and it just flows. You know, and yeah. it's just a conversation, and I enjoy doing that kind yeah. of
0: stuff. Yeah, I so. think just to wrap it up, I, it's really interesting to me. Your, your, how we started with there's very little deer as you are growing up, and it almost yeah. it's it's infectious, right? And it right. and it really it grew into a business, and here we are. Yeah, it, I mean, just, I took I took super cool.
1: I took my passion. Yeah, and, and turned it into a way to make some money, and it's been a uh, you know it's a learning curve because every day, every property I go to, I'm still learning. And now here we are, in a part of Lenawee County that you know, 50 years ago there weren't that many deer, and now there's so many deer. I'm worried about them over browsing my food plots. Isn't that interesting? Okay, that's so interesting it's just, to me. It's it's a you know, but I I just hope Mother Nature doesn't step in and do something for us. So yeah. I encourage all of these Southern Michigan people listening get out there and kill some does this year we need it couldn't agree more with that yeah <laughs> because yep. we more. know you drive around at, in january february there's just piles of deer in these fields everywhere isn't there yeah and yep.
0: it, it's a great opportunity too, like to get somebody else involved in hunting and say, hey come oh. over and shoot a doe right Oh, i, I love to do that yep. yeah so yeah all right jake well, really really do appreciate well, thank you. you man yep. it's good to meet you yep. same here and uh yeah, thanks for coming on. You're Everybody welcome. hopefully you enjoyed it. So well. Alrighty, we'll catch you on the next one.